1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Carol Baskin became a household name as Joe Exotic's rival in Netflix's Tiger King. I spoke with Baskin about the new animal rights documentary, The Conservation Game.
0: Hey, all you cool cats and kittens, it's Carol Baskin from Big Cat Rescue.
1: And we're talking because you were featured in the new documentary. It's not even out yet, just having a a private screening uh, at the Eaton Hotel in D.C. It's called The Conservation Game. It's getting some early acclaim. I think San Diego Reader said it'll have the same impact as Blackfish. Even RogerEbert.com said it's something for the Tiger King crowd, but with much more bite. Uh, How how did you get involved in this? Uh, I know Michael Weber directed it. Did he reach out to you directly or was he? already filming Tim Harrison and you just happened to be there?
0: I had met Tim Harrison many years ago because of the work that he was doing and law enforcement to protect big cats and being called onto the scenes of places where they had been escaped, that he would capture them without killing them. So he had won our Guardian Angel Award at our annual fundraiser many years ago. And through him and the work that he did in The Elephant in the Living Room, I met Mike Weber, the producer of The Conservation Game. So I've known these guys forever and of course you know anybody who's asking questions about big cats in captivity is going to reach out to big cat rescue and so that's why they came to us asking about who these players were and that sort of
1: thing. Yeah. I mean, I know you're, you're featured, you know, in in brief little snippets throughout the thing, especially the scenes that visit Congress. We'll get to that more in a second, but uh, Tim Harrison is, as you mentioned, he's, he's the main vessel. He's sort of the on-screen, you know, figure and narrator throughout this whole thing. He's a retired Ohio police officer. I think it's powerful the way they sort of set it up, how these pop culture figures like, you know, the Jack Hannah's of the world, they took these animal interests on these late night talk shows and became sort of these pop culture figures. But talk about how we were sort of a little naive when we turned on these shows. I
0: think when people see the conservation game, they are going to be outraged at the way they were lied to from the time that we were children. I mean, I'm 60 years old, so I started out with Marlon Perkins and then Jack Hanna and all of these people were portrayed to us as being the conservation experts. And they were taking these cute little cubs onto late night shows and onto the morning shows. And everybody was talking about how they were saving them for future generations and that this was conservation. And people loved it. We, we loved it. I mean, they would get their biggest ratings whenever they would bring some cute little cub onto the sets and when you watch the conservation game with the emphasis being on con and conservation, you realize that none of these animals were serving any kind of conservation value. And you know these experts were saying, this animal came from a particular zoo and it's either going to go back to that zoo or it's going to go to this wonderful sanctuary. And what you find out in the conservation game is that they didn't know where those animals came from, where they went and didn't seem to care. And there's just hundreds of these cats that are missing. And that's the, the nature of the show is trying to find all of these missing cats and finding that all of these faux conservationists didn't seem to care at all what happened to these animals once they had their five minutes on TV.
1: Right. I mean, you can't see the best of Johnny Carson package without without clips of these things. And you, it's hard to blame the hosts. I know they're just cycling through guests, but the, I feel like the real blame falls on the handlers here, where um, judging from this documentary, it seems like they're flat out lying whenever they're asked questions about where these animals come from and where where they're going. Talk about how you, you really got to zero in on the faces and names of the handlers in the background and how Tim sort of discovered that a lot of these people are become familiar faces. Faces if you know who to look for in the background.
0: Well, I think it was really telling that the way that this came up on Tim Harrison's radar was that he was investigating some of these animal issues and had gone to one of these awful auctions where they auction off wild animals to virtually anybody who has money in their pocket, and he was seeing some of the late night or the uh, faux experts or people that worked for them at these auctions, buying and selling animals. And he was like, well, what are they doing here? I I thought they were bringing the animals from the zoos that they represented. And so that's what got him started in it. And you are right, when you're watching the conservation game film, what you have to really pay attention to is not the person, not the Jack Hanna or the Boone Smith or the Jared Miller or the Irwins or whoever it is that is up on stage talking to the late night host. Look at who is bringing that cat up on stage in the background. And you'll find that it's the same network of these really nefarious characters. One of them just lost his license in New York for the way that he handled animals there. And it was even so um, deceitful that what they would do is Jack Cannon would go out and say, these cute little cubs, they were born at the Columbus Zoo. And you see these guys trotting the cubs out and they're wearing Columbus Zoo polo shirts. Those guys didn't work at the Columbus Zoo. Those were these backyard breeders and dealers in these animals that were going to these auctions and getting rid of the animals when they weren't cute and cuddly anymore. So it was just, I mean, people are going to be really, really mad when they see the way they've been lied to for years by the entire industry.
1: I mean, that was such a great point about wearing these fake Columbus Zoo shirts. They also mention a place called The Wilds. They have these consistent places they keep mentioning, but like you're saying, they don't actually really work for there. They end up going to basically like puppy mills, but for other animals. Have you heard any feedback from, let's say, a Columbus Zoo after seeing this saying, wait a minute, we didn't know this was going on, or were they just willfully ignorant?
0: Well, the Columbus Zoo, after this came out, uh, went through a big shakeup, and it is under new leadership now. And What has been wonderful is that in the past, the Columbus Zoo had been an opponent of our bill, and now they are in favor of the bill. The AZA, which is the accrediting body for all of the big zoos, they've been a proponent of the bill for many of the past sessions that we've tried to get this through. But it was great to see Columbus come on board and um, also to see Senator Portman, who is in the Columbus Zoo district, come on board as a co-sponsor. Uh,
1: we keep mentioning the bill. So uh, let's just let's lay it out for our listeners in case they're not familiar. So explain what exactly this is. It's called the Big Cat Public Safety Act. Uh, it's, it's currently, I guess, being considered by Congress. But wh- where does it stand and what is it?
0: The Big Cat Public Safety Act is a bill that does two things. It makes petting the cubs illegal because that's what's driving all of the breeding and discarding of the cubs. They can only use them between about 8 to 12 weeks, and then they can take a finger off a child. So they go from being a very lucrative product to being a huge liability by the time they're 12 to 16 weeks old. And so it's, it bans the cub petting and it phases out private ownership. So people that have them can keep them, but they have to register that they have them and then they can't buy or breed more. And right now, nobody even knows how many of these big cats are out there, where they are or anything, because there's no federal oversight that gives any, any numbers on these animals. So this bill will stop the cub petting and it'll require registration of the cats and that the people, the private owners can't buy or breed more of them. Right now, we have 191 co-sponsors in the House. It passed last session in the House with a two-thirds majority bipartisan vote. And then we have, I think, 23 co-sponsors in the Senate right now. So it is moving along faster than it ever has before for being this early in the session. And I really think it will pass this year because after this airs, I can't imagine that there's going to be anybody in Congress who wants to be on the wrong side of history.
1: Right. And some of the headwinds that you're you're fighting against is that like uh, the, the documentary shows that there are some congressmen who every year, you know, there'll be like a, a Doc Antle, for instance. We remember him from Tiger King? A Doc Antle will bring bring a bunch of these cats uh, for congressmen to pet every year at these different events. So, I mean, t- uh, Congress itself uh, are th- are they a little complicit in how this has been able to allowed to go on?
0: That had always been the case until Tiger King aired, and now that Tiger King has aired, and almost all of those people who were pimping out cubs are either in jail facing jail or are being sued by the Department of Justice, including the one that used to take them to the senators and congressmen's office all the time. Um, I don't think that they're going to want to have that affiliation anymore.
1: You mentioned that some of these people like update us on where some of these famous or I guess infamous, depending on how you look at it, notorious figures from the show. What's the latest? I mean, you mentioned Doc Antle, but what about some of these other famous people from the show? We Obviously, we know your dastardly rival Joe Exotic is is still in prison, but this is your chance to sort of push back. Where are they all now in terms of uh, legal troubles?
0: Joe Exotic is serving 22 years in prison for two attempts on my life, hiring two different hitmen to kill me, and for killing five tigers, just shooting them in the head when he needed cage space for some tigers from the circus that were going to rent that space, in addition to illegally trading in these tigers across state lines. His partners in crime, if you will, um, people that he dealt with were people like Doc Cantle, who you saw in Tiger King, who is now being sued on several wildlife trafficking charges and animal cruelty charges, as are his daughters. And then there is Tim Stark, who was also in Tiger King, who was sued by the USDA and I believe the Department of Justice. He's had all of his animals seized. PETA, who had sued him, actually just got awarded over $700,000 in their attorney's fees against him. And so I saw that he has all of his stuff up for sale at an auction that's coming up in July. And of course, all of the animals have been placed in legitimate sanctuaries since then. There have been, um, let's see, who else was in there? Mario Tobro, he's the only one that's come out unscathed so far. He's the one who said that he was the the, uh, role model for Scarface and he had already been sent to prison for a hundred years before Tiger King, but he got out after 12 by turning state's evidence. So I'm really hoping that he will be Um, investigated and sent back to prison, but um, we'll see whether or not the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service can make that case. I think it was easy to make the case against Joe Exotic because he was the, he was just the dumbest one of all of them, whereas these other guys are a lot smarter. I think Antle and Tobro were two of the smartest people in that industry, and so, and they're also the ones who were funding Frank Vitello, the lobbyist who was going around trying to uh, squash the Big Cat Public Safety Act. So I think without having that lobbyist going against us, there really is no organized opposition to the bill anymore.
1: If Joe Exotic was listening to this from his jail cell, what would you say to him and Tiger King? And, you know, do do you feel like sort of you got I don't want to say the last laugh because, he, you know, there were actually attempts, uh, hits on your life. So it's a serious subject. But what would you tell him if he was listening?
0: You know, he was seeking a pardon. And the kind of people who get pardons are people who turn their lives around and do something good with it. And I would be all in favor of him getting a pardon or a reduced sentence if there were two things that he would do. One is he needs to work with the authorities to bring down the rest of these abusers that are going to be a lot harder to catch than he was. He knows knows where the bodies are buried. He knows the way that they've gotten around the law, and he could be very helpful in that way. But he's chosen not to be, from what I can tell. And the other thing is he could really speak out to Congress and say, we absolutely need this bill to pass. And I can tell you exactly why, because he knows all the reasons why this bill needs to pass. And yet he's chosen not to do either of those things. So it tells me he hasn't had any kind of a change of heart. And until he does, you know, I think he's right where he belongs.
1: Well, that's sort of where a lot of these figures stand today. But Take me back to when you first encountered the documentary. I mean, it, it undoubtedly pop culture phenomenon. And I think, you know, A, it was entertaining to watch, but also I think it was partly the timing. It came right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we were all stuck at home and binging this thing. Um, but how did you and your new husband uh, react when you're when you're watching this thing? And I guess, you know, what did it get right and what did it get wrong? You know, it must have stirred some strong feelings for you.
0: Well, it was shocking to us because we had worked with the producers of Tiger King for five years. And during that same five-year period, we were working with Mike Weber on this show. We were working with another fellow who put out a film called Hidden Tiger. And so in all of these cases, we would give them all of the information that we had about who all these people were that were exploiting these animals and how it was that they get away with this and how it is that USDA was not enforcing even the very meager bills or meager laws that we had that protect wild animals. And the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was not going after these traffickers, even though it was being reported to them over and over and over again that this illegal stuff was happening. It just didn't rise up to the level of being that anybody cared. And so we thought, in fact, that we were told, with the Tiger King show that it was going to be called stolen wildlife and that it would be about exposing this horrible industry and would be the blackfish for big cats. Well, it turns out the conservation game is going to be the blackfish for big cats because Tiger King was just a freak show. And my husband and I sat through it. We, we binge watched it like everybody else did because we couldn't believe that that was what they produced after what they had been telling us for five years. They were working
1: on Right, so you think the conservation game is more the serious Blackfish style documentary, and in your view, Tiger King is more of the freak show. I mean, yeah, it does sort of play up sort of that freak show carny element, trying to paint you know these crazy characters and, and sensationalize a little bit. Admittedly entertaining, but you know, like you're saying, you got to kind of dig through to to find, sift through, you know, the truth of all these characters. Were you surprised that you were sort of painted a, as a bit of an antagonist in that? I mean, Joe Exotic. I mean, I guess he's like an anti-hero, but the way Tiger King was set up, they they sort of. Changed you know, you got to make a choice as a filmmaker. They chose him as their central figure, sort of a protagonist. Were you surprised to see you were sort of this antagonist uh, accused of killing your husband? All this stuff. You probably still do you get hate mail and stuff saying, why would you kill your husband? I mean, it must been it must be crazy that you're painted uh, as a villain in that thing.
0: It really did shock me. And I do still get hate mail. Um, <laughs> but it shocked me that they would take that kind of attack because they didn't have to in order to make this a really entertaining look at this industry. They had all of the characters. I mean, they had all the crazy going on and I don't think that they needed to flip it on its head and make the only person who was trying to end the abuse, be the villain. I just don't see how that was beneficial to them in creating a, a, a series, but I I have to give them credit, they did a masterful job of misleading the public. And it's, you know, here a year later, most of that hatred has gone by the wayside as people have done a little bit of research and figured out that I'm not that person that they painted. But it just, it still blows my mind today as to why on earth they would even take that that kind of an approach.
1: Yeah, well, um, it's a true crime sort of a thing, and there's a lot of salacious, you know, rabbit holes to go down, and I guess that's sort of part of the game. Maybe one day I'll have the Tiger King filmmakers on here, and they can tell me their side, and we can do the, you know, point counterpoint uh, objective journalist thing. But uh, I totally hear hear what you're saying. Um, Thanks for sharing that. It's very personal stuff, and um, I don't even know how to phrase this, but what would you like to say about your first husband? I mean, they, there's so much thrown out at you in the documentary, you know, basically accusing you of murder, but just, I'm, I'm going to take a step back and just hand it over to you. What would you like to say, you know, just memories of him and and just, what do you say to those accusations? I mean, that's something that no one really has to deal with, but now you're a public figure having to deal with those questions.
0: Part of what made it really strange to me that they decided to take this approach is that people like Joe Exotic and, um, Antle, and all of these guys, there's nothing that they can say to justify the kind of uh, things that they're doing to exotic animals. And so their only way of combating me was to try and divert attention away by saying, well, did you know she killed her husband and fed him the tigers? And then you know, they would expect to get the, the spotlight off of the horrible things that they were doing to tiger cubs. And in every case, since my husband disappeared 23 years ago, The media would be like, oh, my gosh, this is so interesting. And then they would actually do a little bit of research and find out the truth and not publish those things. But Tiger King decided to publish them anyway. And anybody who does any kind of research can easily go online and find out that my husband was suffering from being diagnosed as bipolar. He wasn't getting medicated for that. I was taking him to hospitals and doctors trying to figure out what was going on with him because I didn't know. I knew he was acting crazier than usual, but I didn't know why he was being so crazy. I thought he had Alzheimer's because he had very uh, he, he had like no short term memory and yet he could remember things from his childhood or it seemed to maybe he was making it up. I don't know. But. I loved him and I was doing everything that I could to protect him and to get him the help that he needed. And I dealt very fairly, way more fairly with his family than he had. And all of that is in the public record. And all of that was given to the producers
1: of Tiger King. They just chose not to air it. Right, exactly, because you know it's got to fit a certain narrative that you're trying to paint, and certain details you leave out and the like. Well, thanks for answering that. That's I know that's a very, very hard question. You know, to be you know, hi, this is WTOP, Carol Baskin. Tell us, you did not kill your first husband. You know what I mean? Like, it's very hard to ask that question. So I appreciate you being candid, you know, and sharing everything you can. But either way, it's not too
0: hard because that's just about what every single person who has interviewed me wants to talk about.
1: Thanks for anyway for answering that. But anyway, um, you became a pop culture figure. Um, It opened up all these other doors. You know, you were known for your uh, amongst the conservation community, but now you're known as a pop culture figure. You know, what was it like when they said, hey, do you want to be on Dancing with the Stars?
0: (laughs) I thought they were kidding me. (laughs) Um, You know, I I don't know if you're aware, but right after Tiger King, of course, I wasn't responding to the press at all because I couldn't believe what had been done to us by talking to the media. And uh, these two guys from the UK reached out to me and said that they were from the Jimmy Fallon show and they were – they absolutely punked me. They had like little clips of Jimmy Fallon asking questions and saying answers. And then they would piece that in. So I thought I was talking to him and it got like 7 million views. And I got to talk about the issues and protecting tigers. So I thought it was funny and I, I enjoyed it. But then when I got to thinking, you know, that lady who called me from Dancing with the Stars, she said her name was Deanna Katz what's the chances that somebody there is named Katz? This has gotta be a prank too. And so I called her up and she she assured me she really was who she was. And what they gave me was such, such a gift because it gave me the opportunity to talk about the issues on a national stage. And that was part of the negotiations that I made with them in order to do the show was that I wanted to talk about big cats and the issues. And they said, you can do it in our show. we will set you up with the media. You can talk to the media until you're blue in the face about it. And they did that. And even though I couldn't dance a lick and they had to scratch me from the show by the third episode, they still continued to send media to me to talk about the important issues of saving these cats in the wild and ending the private possession of them. So they've been lovely to me.
1: For sure. It, but it just shows how, how big of a hit and you know, how much of a pop culture figure you are now and you're using that to get the word out. So it, it kind of is all, at least for you, probably a win-win um, one more little pop culture question. Then we'll, we'll full circle back to the conservation game. But what do you think when you heard that there NBC's producing a TV series and SNL's hilarious, Kate McKinnon is, is going to be tapped to play you.
0: Wondery had done a podcast in April of 2019 called Joe exotic, exotic, I think. And what what was interesting about the podcast, it was done by Robert Moore, and he took the listener along through a seven or eight series uh, episode thing, the same path that he had been taken. So he originally met Joe, he found him to be very charismatic and charming, which everybody has, and he believed the things that he was being told and he started really buying into all of this and then what he found at the end was that these people were lying and that this was actually causing the extinction of the tiger not protecting it and that they were trying to kill me because they didn't want me telling people that the things that they were doing were bad and so at the end of his podcast the last episode he says you know here's all the stuff I believed but Here's what I found out to be true, and he lays it all out. So that's why my husband and I binge watched Tiger King because we thought, well, maybe they're doing that same thing. They're taking the viewer down the same path that they were led down, and then they'll they'll come clean at the end. Well, they just never did. So when um, I forget who came to us was it NBC said that they were going to be doing this show based on the Wondering podcast, and they asked if I would sign away my life rights for it, and I said no because my life's not done until this bill passes, (laughs) then we'll talk about it, but this bill has to pass first before I'm going to be willing to sign over my life rights to anything, and that's when later I heard that it was going to be Kate McKinnon, who is an amazing talent, and I think she'll probably give me a sense of humor, if nothing else, but um, I'll be really in, interested to see what they do with it. If they do actually follow the Wondery podcast platform, or if they see that the Tiger King thing was just so successful, they decide not to come clean at
1: the end. Gotcha. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It sounds like it's still very much in the works. And I don't even know when it's when that thing's gonna even come out. But we'll we'll follow up and we'll see when it happens. Cool. Well, um, I guess I should ask, how did you come up with the cool cat and kittens phrase? Was that just something you just came up with on the top of your your mind and it just stuck? Or <laughs> are you surprised that all the people that quote that back to you now as some sort of catchphrase?
0: I thought it was so funny that people picked up on that because I think it only was said like one time in Tiger King. It wasn't like they said it every episode or anything, but i had been saying it since probably, I don't know, 2016 or so when I started doing a daily podcast at the sanctuary called the daily big cat. And so every time I would go live, I'd say something along those lines. But then it seems like in, I think it was 2016, that I actually settled on that line. And I was like, I like that. Hello, or hey, all you cool cats and kittens. And I just started using that every day as I started that daily update.
1: Yeah, it's, it's wild how things catch on in the public lexicon and well, now it's there and it, it'll always be there. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, it's called The Conservation Game, a new documentary. It just premiered at the Eaton Hotel in Washington, D.C., a private screening. We'll keep listeners posted on when they can watch it in theaters or, or on streaming, you know, to the public. I like to end just sort of with you talking directly to the listeners, you know, like address them directly.
0: Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin from Big Cat Rescue, and I hope you keep your eyes out for the conservation game you are going to love it
1: (laughs) thank you so much i appreciate the time everyone check out the conservation game it will shock you and uh but hopefully stir stir you to action and hey carol thanks so much for doing this thank you so much for having me thanks so much for joining us on beyond the fame with jason fraley remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear we'll see you next time